Today's episode of Two Man Advantage is brought to you by Robinhood. With Robinhood, you can invest in stocks, options, and ETFs right from your phone. You can even spend and earn interest on uninvested cash. And with fractional shares, you can buy stocks in any amount, including companies like Apple, Amazon, and Tesla, for as little as $1. And that's with no commission fees or account minimums. So, whether you're new to investing and ready to learn, or just looking for a better experience, stop waiting and join the 10 million Robinhood users. Listeners can get started with a free stock by going to twoman.robinhood.com. That's twoman.robinhood.com. All investments involve risk. This is not investment advice a recommendation, or a solicitation of any security. Other fees may apply. Visit rbnhd.co slash fees. The free stock program is subject to certain limitations. Annual percentage yield, APY, on uninvested cash is paid by program banks and is variable. Robinhood Financial is not a bank. Hey everybody, Scott Burnside back for another edition of Two Man Advantage. Pierre Lebrun, Pierre, I brought back a cold from St. Louis, so if I sound a bit raspy, uh, I know you you weren't in St. Louis, so you missed out on all of that. But uh, a fine All-Star weekend, and it's good to catch up with you, man, because now, as you know, post-All-Star just means we're at the top. It's like tobogganing, which I still even remember uh, as a kid. You're at the top of the hill, and we're just about to put the front of the toboggan down as we head into the trade deadline. Do you like that? Do you like how I brought in like a little Canadiana into the uh, into the uh, intro today? Ah, uh, you're so clever. You really are, I must say. Uh, I tuned in for 30 seconds of the uh, the NHL All Star Tournament on the on the Saturday and could not believe I was how slow it was and uh, turned it off. But I did very much enjoy watching with my kids the uh, the women's three on three from the previous night. That was uh, there was actual effort in that match and uh, kind of an, an historical moment as you wrote about Scotty. It's, uh, you know, hopefully a launching pad to, to a WNHL here one day, one would hope. Yeah. What, I, I was curious because I saw your tweet <clears throat> saying that you had, you know, because you, you had you had youth hockey of your own, right? I think the kids were all playing on the weekend. Mm-hmm. The fact that you recorded it and then came back, what was it, I mean, what was it like to watch that? And, then, and I'll, I'll preface it by saying, you know, sitting in the press box, I don't think, you know, I sat to was our, our athletic crew, so I was sitting next to Mark Lazarus and Emily Kaplan from ESPN was sitting on the one side, <clears throat> the other side of me. Um, and I don't think we really knew what to expect from, you know, the, the three-on-three competition. And I just know, and it, my sense is that everyone in the, in the crowd, place was sold out, of course, like there was an incredible vibe watching it and you hit the nail on the head like it was so fast players were going for it the goaltending was unbelievable what was it like to watch it with your kids 
Uh, it was really, I mean, I was watching their faces as much as I was watching the game. And, and you know, both yeah. my daughters play hockey. Uh, my oldest daughter has asked me a million times why there are no women in the NHL. Um, oh and uh, to see uh, the players of the U.S. and Canada come out with the NHL crest on their jerseys, uh, you know, my daughters were beside themselves. You know, as I said in the tweet, seeing is believing. Like they, it was such a moment for them to connect and start thinking about what could come next. And uh, it's just, it was just, you know, as a father, it was just tremendous to, to experience that. And, you know, I know it's, it, it's, it's a difficult subject because there, there, of course there is a pro league, um, you know, the NWHL, but let's not kid ourselves. I mean, to be able, if, if there's ever a WNHL, and I do think there's certainly, you know, I don't think anyone's hiding it. There's certainly some thought, that they could be here one day. Um, the branding of the NHL and the machinery available, I mean, you know, just look at the NBA and the WNBA. I mean, that's what the sport needs, I think, to, right. to bring women's hockey to a whole other level. And, uh, you know, I make no apologies for feeling that way. I, You know, good for the NWHL to give a home and to give jobs to players. I agree with that. But at the end of the day, that's uh, there, there's a much better platform available, and hopefully we'll see that one day. Yeah. Yeah, I mean <clears throat> I think it's going to be really interesting to see you know what the natural progression is for women's hockey and their involvement with All-Star. You know, this is the third year in a row it started in Tampa with demonstrating some of the skills and then of course uh Kendall Coyne Schofield's tremendous uh participation a year ago in the fastest skater race and then leading to the actual 3 on 3 competition. And again, I think the response to it, you know, even though I, Gary Bettman spoke before the skills competition and and so the women's game, but you know he's saying let's see how it goes tonight. But if 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 the re, if the response is any kind of indication, I mean there to me there's just okay. What's the next level? What do you do? You know, at some point do we see women integrated into the actual games or however you know a f- further uh participation in the skills themselves like I, I don't know what the answer is but um and i have to wonder then again does this lead to okay th- there has to be a way for uh the 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 well, when there were two leagues so uh, but all the leaders in women's hockey to get together to try and figure this out because my and correct me if you if you think i'm off base but my sense of the nhl's participation in this is that they have been reluctant to wade into uh, something that's been, you know, where there was conflict existing between which league should exist or how the leagues were going to coexist or if they could, that they would want, they wanted, they don't want any part of that of arbitrating which league should survive or how it's going to work, right? I yeah, they, I mean, fair. the league wants to basically, I think, step in once, or well, I shouldn't say once, get myself in real trouble with the NWHL if the NWHL stops operating at some point. Uh, I think the NHL would then step in, and I don't know that Gary Bettman at this point feels like he can before then, but I think he should. I, I mean, again, I, I I understand that there's a lot of hard feelings about all this, but at the end of the day, nothing could compare to a WNHL that's run properly with with that kind of backing, you know. So yeah, yeah. I, I I just think it was it was so much fun to watch, and <clears throat> to your point, it, like it literally took about 
two minutes of the of the actual three on three games the next day to realize that we weren't going to see anything like that from the men, right? It just and listen, I I completely get it. Uh, no one wants to get hurt. It's why some players stay away. We're now getting to the most important part of the NHL season. I get it, but boy, that was hard to watch, especially after watching the women uh, the the night before. Well, so. I mean, the, the NHL is working on on you know something different for next year. I mean, you know, I I think it'd be great if if the women played in the actual you know game or games with with the NHL players. Um, again, just to demonstrate you know their speed and skill and so on. But uh, I get why that might be, you know, complicated. Again, in terms of what this is for the NHL players, you know, wanting to avoid, uh, you know, getting injured and everything else and not wanting to go 100, 100 miles an hour, which is why, then why have it? I mean, the skills seems awfully interesting still. My kids loved it, the skills competition. Maybe just have the skills. I don't know. I mean, yeah. Like, yeah, I don't know. It's I listen. I <clears throat> I'm glad I'm not in charge of it because I don't know the answer to how to to inject urgency or whatever. And and really, I think we've seen where things work for a very short period of time. Whether it was the player draft or whether it was the three on three, and maybe there's a way to you know incorporate more greats from the past. I mean, we saw Al McInnes. We saw. Uh, Brett Hall, I, like I don't, I don't know what the answer is, but it, it strikes me that it, whatever you do, it's going to have a pretty short shelf life because you're you're creating, you're you're fabricating something that's not really there in terms of urgency and why it's important because it's not really important, right? I guess that's the bottom line. Doesn't matter, right? Yeah. Doesn't doesn't matter. Can you tell? Can you tell me who won? Who won the? I have uh, no idea. Who won the three on three? I, I don't know. That's. I'm pretty sure. I think the Pacific did. <laughs> It, I will say, when I was still covering it, I enjoyed that when you and I would gamble on it because at least it made me pay attention. <laughs> I don't, still don't think I ever won one of those bets, right? It's only four teams. You'd think I might have won one of them somewhere. Uh, so, all right, let's move on to the stretch run. I was really, I really liked your uh, piece today. I have it in front of me here. I enjoyed your team by team thing, uh, which was a lot of work, obviously. But um, it was just you have a piece today. How, headlines like how contenders now approach the trade deadline. What's the market for Ottawa's JG Pajot? Because he's sort of he's the the obvious number one center that uh, could be available. Rental as, center, uh, yeah. Ex- yeah. Rental center, yeah. yeah it's on expiry. Never know if uh, uh, you never know if a sign center, uh, a term center, becomes available. But certainly among the rental centers, yeah. he's number one right now. Yeah. Right, and I actually I like I don't know if you've heard the name of a center who would be even more valuable being potentially available, but mm-hmm. um, he anyway th- I just thought it was interesting, and I I was thinking about this notion of you you touch on should teams be going all in or is that a thing anymore or how you know how do you approach it? And I I was curious because I was thinking as I was reading it I was going wait a minute. Didn't Columbus go all in last year? <laughs> yeah, right. Yeah, go all in last year, and right now, like to me, they are. It, there are so many terrific stories. I think as we head down the stretch run, but I, I every time I look at the standings, I go, "How can that possibly be?" There is Columbus today, sitting in the number one wild card. They are in fact one point behind third place. New York Islanders in the Metropolitan Division have a nice little tidy plus eight goal differential. 
eight and two in their last ten, six game winning streak. That team was all in and was I was among the many who was like, okay, Columbus is going to be a draft lottery team this year because that's the price you pay when you go all in. And yet, maybe you can go all in and still be a playoff team. Yeah, I mean, I think that was a pretty unique set of circumstances because you know Panarin and Bobrovsky were up, and and you know as Yarmo Kekalinen had talked to us many times last year in the aftermath of it all, they had built and built and built for a long time, right? Yeah. And they just felt you know that they wanted to give their players and their fan base, um, you know, something to cheer for, and and the the decision of course comes down to the idea that they didn't trade Panarin that's what this is all about and then they double down by going out and spending pretty big assets to get uh you know Matt Duchesne and even Ryan Dezingle I, I I'd forgotten this but I went back because I was writing this piece and wanted to confirm what my memory was telling me that there were only two first round picks who were traded for rentals last year and, and they one month lead up to the trade deadline four overall you know one in the Jake Muzzin deal, which is a hockey deal, not a rental deal, and one in the Brandon Montour deal, which was a hockey deal, but only two for rentals, Duchesne and Kevin Hayes. And I'd forgotten that, you know, Pierre Dorian had a pretty good deadline. I mean, obviously he got the first-round pick and other assets for Matt Duchesne, but then also in a separate trade with Columbus a couple of days later, he got two second-round picks and Anthony Declare for Ryan Dezingle. Uh So that turned out pretty well for, for the Ottawa Senators. But again, I don't blame... Columbus just said, let's let's put our chips down. And at the end of the day, I know people are going to say, well, they only won one series. They beat the 62-win Lightning. <laughs> so to me, that will always go down in history as, as a great gamble by the by the Blue Jackets to, to be able to say that they, they pulled that off and, uh, and played really well against Boston, too, in the second round. But, you know, the point of my column was that, and I know that I don't think fans like hearing this. Fans want to be told who's going to win and why. I get it. But the, I've never felt more randomness of the NHL playoffs than we now have. I, I mean, you know, I, if the playoffs started today, you know, Washington would play Carolina in the first round again. The Capitals, for me, have been far and away the most consistent elite team in the Eastern Conference this year, Scott. I don't know if you agree. But if they lost I to do. Carolina in the first round, would you consider that a huge upset? Yeah, no, I think you're absolutely right. I thought even last year, like it was a pretty big upset when when Carolina won that series in double overtime in Game Seven. But yeah, and I think and I think Carolina is better this year. Like I think the gap between Washington and Carolina is narrower this year mm-hmm. than it was a year ago. And that's the matchup and right they're now. They're scrambling. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and they are hanging on by their teeth to actually get in the playoffs. And to your point, yeah, no, I wouldn't be at all surprised if Carolina won that first-round series. And I also agree with you. I think Washington's the best team. I think they might be the best team in the NHL. In fact, I was talking to a couple of scouts this week. They, you know, St. Louis is right there. Uh, but there is, a, I think there are a lot of people who feel that right now Washington is the most complete. They have that great explosiveness. They, they just have it all. And now we're you and I are already talking about. Well, you know what? They might not get out of the first. Well, round. and so that's so, the, the point of my column, yeah. and maybe not everyone will agree with it. And, and again, one of the things that I think people don't like um, is the idea of the randomness of it all. But I like talking about it because this is the system that the cap has created. Uh, I mean, there's never been more parity ever, and because of that, 
I don't sense as many teams saying we got to win this year. Like I, I really feel like more and more uh, GMs and and team architects, team front office people are saying we we need sustainability. We need to try and draw out this core for as many years as we can and just try to make the playoffs. And then who knows? And that's a departure. That's a departure from the NHL we covered years ago, Scotty. I mean, you know, I remember when Ken Holland traded for Chris Chelios, and I think it was in 1999. And I, my lead for the Canadian Press Wire Service was, you know, they're printing three-peat banners in Hockey Town. Of course, they actually didn't win that year. Dallas did. But the idea was they were in. Who cares about the future? Let's trade a million first-round picks. I mean, that's just how it was. I mean, it, it, the window was the window. And even in the early years of the cap, you know, when L.A. decided they were done rebuilding and that they were going to try and win titles, they were all in for, for a few years, right? I mean, they trade a lot of future assets to try and win a second cup, which they got. But then, you know, makes it harder to have sustainability after that window closes. And I'm, I mean, Tampa's a great example of what I'm talking about. As much as they've been going after it the last, you know, five or six years with some really good teams, they're careful with how they spend their futures, aren't they? I mean, when they did the McDonough deal, uh, which JT Miller was also in, those guys weren't rentals those guys had term and uh, you know i'm not saying that julian breezewell wouldn't trade a first for the perfect rental but it's certainly not the sense i get when you you know when, when i sat down with him for that interview last month because that you know yeah he wants to win the cup this year he also wants to have a good team in three years and i'm sensing more and more of that in the nhl where it's more about stretching out your sustainability as a good team as opposed to trying to build the great team for three years. Okay, so I, I, if I play devil's advocate then, that works only if at some point, and I, to me it's not, I don't even know if it matters whether you actually win a cup, but they, where you make that long push, you know, the Lightning went to the Stanley Cup final in 2015. I mean, they're a perennial playoff team, so I, I get what you're saying. I, I think of a team like Nashville in like just... I, I, I can't, still can't get my head around why that team is floundering in, in the way that they are. Like, I see zero chance to make the playoffs now. I watched them the other night against Toronto. Uh, I, I see no alternative but for David Poyle other than to change gears from the last couple of years and, and, and shed assets and try and regroup for next year. But, you know, that's a team that did go to, you know, they, they went to a final in 17 um, he has been very aggressive about adding players when when the moment was right, and I think those are like the fans appreciate that. I guess it, like what well, the fans may appreciate it, but I think that there have been mistakes. That's Nashville's a great example. I think they're paying now for, you know, they're paying for some of those deals. Yep. You know, I mean, I don't think that team has the same depth that it used to have, and and you know, I. You know, the one thing I will say is that at least, you know, when they go out and get a Grandland last year, he wasn't a rental, right? He's still in the roster this year. Um, but I, I don't know. I mean, you can go way back with, I mean, David Paul's made some great trades, but I mean, it was also the year that he traded a first round pick for Paul Gostad, who was a rental player. Yeah. And, you know, well, I, mean, I, I just don't think you're going to yeah. see that again. Yeah, well, last year he picked up Brian Boyle and Wayne Simmons along with Granlund, and you're right. It just, you know, it's, I mean, that team is, 
that that's a team that has uh, rapidly declined, right? I mean, I, 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 I don't know. Do you think they, like, I just look at the, the standings now. I, I, to me, they have to, you have to move them firmly into the, the uh, seller category now, right? They're behind in the central behind Minnesota, Chicago and Winnipeg all outside the playoff bubble. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I don't see so them I getting... Just, I don't... I mean, you know, the first game out of the gates against Toronto was a statement moment for them to say, are we going to have a run or agreed. not? And they look terrible. Yeah. And, I, yeah. and I, you know, I know that David Poyle has told people close to him that, you know, basically the next two, three weeks will dictate how he proceeds. I don't know that he needs to wait. That I, I guess the one thing I would say is maybe he makes a trade soon to actually save the season before he starts selling, if that makes any sense. A trade that he could live with past this year, I mean, you know, a hockey deal, um, you know. But but the, I, I guess what I would say though is that I'm I'm absolutely fascinated. Like we brought up Pajot in my piece today. I think the asking price will be a first to begin with for Ottawa. Why not? You can decide what you want as an asking price, right? There's no harm in it. I don't know if he'll get it. You know, I I just think teams are getting smarter and smarter about acquisition price at this time of year. Well, and don't don't you think that you find you find more and more teams, and we saw this last year with the with some of the the deals, but you just attach conditions that that you know that protect you if you a fall out of the playoff race entirely. I mean, we'll you know after we get done our first little break, we'll come back. We'll talk a little bit about Toronto or maybe some of the teams that have to be you know trying to balance what to do in the next uh, three and a half weeks. Um, but you, so you, you attach the conditions to it, but, uh, to me, like Pajot and, and, and maybe Chris Kreider are the only two players uh, in the straight rental or potential rental market that would edge toward first round picks. And, uh, so we let me ask it this way then, if you, if, if the, if the idea is that you, you really can't afford to be sending, even if it's a conditional first round pick, a first round pick out the door or package that includes that. Is there are there one or two teams that you can think of that you that make could buck that trend? And I want you know I think of Jim Rutherford who was talking to our Josh Yoey, uh, among others I guess in in Pittsburgh this week. But I, I love about Jim Rutherford, the GM in Pittsburgh, is unabashed about yeah I, we need to I'd like to get a top six forward right. Jake Gensel's out long term. Um, now, they, like to me, there's a guy in Jim Rutherford who might buck that trend who says, you know what, for the piece that that I think fits and the way we've played, our chance to get right back in the Stanley Cup discussion after being swept in the first round last year is right now, and we're going to do it. Dude, maybe I'm wrong. Though. Yeah, and they already don't have a second-round pick, uh, but they do have their first. Um, and, and listen, I could see that. I mean, one more championship for this group. There is no tomorrow, except here's the thing, and I hear a lot of people say that about the Penguins, but, you know, Sidney Crosby still has five more years on his contract after this year. I don't know that he'll play all of them, but I'm just saying, right now, there's five more years on his deal, and Evgeny Malkin has two more years on his deal after this year. So there is a tomorrow. I'm just, as long as those two guys are on your team, you have to assume that you're trying to compete, right? I mean, there is another season next year in which the Penguins think they will be a playoff team. Uh, So... I, I I don't know. I I think <laughs> got to be careful with those first round pick trades and and you know I think it would make more sense to, you know depending what he thinks of his prospects to perhaps trade a player that he thinks his path is blocked to try and get something done as opposed to 
you know, a first a first round pick in June. Yeah. All right. All right. We're gonna take a we're gonna take a break. Just a, a quick break here, and, and just before we do, <clears throat> obviously, uh, the sporting world still talking about Kobe Bryant and the tragedy that that struck he and his family and. Uh, seven others, uh, along with Kobe Bryant's daughter, of course. And uh, if you are interested in following that, you should be subscribing to The Athletic. That goes without saying. The coverage has been tremendous. Most of it is unlocked, as as far as I know right now. And then uh, you should also check out the No Dunks podcast. Uh, it's a daily NBA podcast hosted by Skeets, Taz, Trey, Lee, and JD. It's the original basketball podcasters. Uh, so join them and uh, and and uh, catch up on all of uh, what is so important, not just for the NBA, but uh, for all of sport now. So just a, a reminder there and a reminder to you, Pierre, do not go away. We'll be right back. If you were to guess, on average, how many days people in the U.S. have to wait to see a doctor, what would you say? A week, maybe? Actually, on average, people have to wait around 29 days to see a doctor in major U.S. cities. Basically, a month. If you're dealing with a condition like erectile dysfunction, you want treatment ASAP. That's why our friends at Roman have spent years building a digital platform that can connect you with a doctor licensed in your state, all from the comfort of your home. Roman makes it convenient to get the treatment you need on your schedule. Just grab your phone or computer, Complete a free online visit, and you'll hear back from a U.S. licensed physician within 24 hours. And if the doctor decides that treatment is right for you, Roman's Pharmacy can ship your medication to you with free two-day shipping. You also get free unlimited follow-ups with your doctor anytime you have questions or want to adjust your treatment plan. With Roman, there are no commitments, and you can cancel anytime. So if you're struggling with ED, go to GetRoman.com slash Advantage for a free online visit and free two-day shipping. That's GetRoman.com slash Advantage for a free online visit and free two-day shipping. All right, so I I just think... um, So notwithstanding what you say, it's still... It's going to be fascinating three weeks, right? Just because teams aren't necessarily going to throw caution to the wind and throw first round picks and win, throw first round picks around willy nilly, which certainly we have seen in the past in the NHL. It, there are a lot of teams who where the wind, like the windows so wide open everywhere. Right. So the, mm-hmm. it, there has to be a lot of discussion and I'm thinking specifically the Pacific Div- division, like what a crazy place that is fun. And if you're a, if you're a GM in the Pacific Division, it could be five teams going to the playoffs, which I don't believe has ever happened, and certainly I wouldn't have predicted that in September or October. And any one of those teams outside of L.A. and San Jose uh, has a chance to to win the division, have for home rice advantage for a round or two. Like, what what's... What, do you like it or not when you think of the Pacific Division? I think it's great, and and, it, and you know... I've seen some people refer to it as mediocre. I don't think that's true. I think you have five good teams going at it. They're not elite teams. You know, they're they're not St. Louis. They're not Washington. They're not Boston or Tampa. But on the other hand, you know, you got five teams having really good seasons. And 
one of them presumably will be in the Western Conference final unless unless there's an upset from the perhaps you know if a central team makes it in as a wild card and runs through the Pacific but at this point you have to assume uh, logically that one of those five Pacific teams will be in the Western Conference final which the reason I bring that up and that's why I talked about the Oilers in my Peugeot column you know, on the one hand, you think it's crazy that, you know, maybe Ken Holland would be spending, uh, you know, a valuable asset to, at the trade deadline. On the other hand, part of him is probably thinking, what if we make it to the Western Conference final with Connor McDavid and Leon Dreisaitl? I mean, why wouldn't he think that? It's possible. And and maybe add to it. Um, and, and that's why I brought up the scenario that if, that if I'm Ken Holland, the only way I ever trade a first-round pick is if it's attached to playoff success. And that... You know, like, uh, for example, Dallas did with Matt Zuccarello last year, right? Matt Zuccarello, that second-round pick, almost turned into a first, had the Stars scored in overtime against St. Louis. <laughs> and and they didn't. But but that's a smart way to protect your asset. I mean, if the Oilers get to the Western Conference Final, a first-round pick is number 28 at best. And, and so that's those are some of the things I think we need to think about instead of just straight up assets like we've been used to over the years great what what do you have when you look at the pacific do you do you lean one way or the other it's funny i asked a coach this morning to give me his uh his i said how's it how's it how's it shake down in the pacific i'm I'm looking now to see if i can find it well i I tell you here but Mm -hmm. and he had so and i'm going to use this as part of my power rankings uh, beginning of month column but he he had Vancouver at 1, Edmonton, Vegas, Arizona as a wild card and then Calgary in the fight for 7th or 8th so also fighting for the the wild card spot but it's i i think your point is an excellent one and and we've seen John Chaka already go out and get Taylor Hall it, he's not afraid to make moves obviously is there another move for him Again, you like you're right. You're, it's like right there because some somebody's got to win a round or two, right? I don't, I don't see frankly, and frankly, it may be five teams from the Pacific, but I just don't see any of those teams in that central. Whether it's Winnipeg or Chicago or Minnesota, I, I just don't see how those. I don't see those teams running the table, crossing over in the Pacific. So you're right. If you win the Pacific, or maybe if you're second, you could find yourself in a West final, mm-hmm. and maybe it takes that one move. To, to push you over the top because things are so tight. Well, and, and then here's the interesting thing. Like, for example, the Battle of Alberta, both the Oilers and the Flames, from some of the reporting we've done, are, are both, you know, looking for a top six forward. <laughs> and I think there's some crossover in some of the names they're looking at. Uh, if one team makes a move, do you feel compelled to, to, to answer to that? That's, you know... Mo- most GMs have told me over the years they they, they try not to do that because that's not healthy. <laughs> but it's also human nature. And in particular, when it's one of your top rivals making a move. And, and and I will tell you this. I think that... I don't know if Brian McClellan would ever admit this. Um, and, and he's a great example, by the way, of, of how this whole trade deadline has progressed over the years. You know, traded a first-round pick for Kevin Shattenkirk uh, in 17, right? And the move never worked. Now, I'm not blaming anyone, but he just came in. Kevin Shattenkirk did not fit in. In fact, Nate Schmidt had to was a healthy scratch, I think, for a game or two in that series because of it. And they really should have just stuck with Nate Schmidt and not traded for Kevin Shattenkirk. 
A year later, the Caps don't trade a first-round pick. They don't make headlines. They add Michael Kempney for a third, and at the time, that looked like a death move. He ends up having a great playoff and really fits in. But my point is, there is an example, I think, of a GM and a team that, that now feels like they've got a better handle over the trade deadline, depending on their needs, right? That that. But the reason I think he did Shattenkirk, and, and I don't know if you remember this or feel the same way, I, I think they were keeping up with the Joneses. I think they felt Pittsburgh was doing this and Pittsburgh was doing that. And and I think felt the internal pressure to match that. And that can be a dangerous thing sometimes. Yeah, well, yeah, there's no question. Well, in St. when you had Doug Armstrong on last week, and I had even forgotten they brought in Michael Delzato as a depth player. But, but, but basically, you know, that, that was... He'd done all his heavy lifting in the offseason, and it took 40 games for it to start to to gel or to come together. Now, we, I'm not sure there's a team like that Well, yeah, I, well, what about Vancouver, you know? Because, you know, we'll see what Jim Benning does, but I feel like he feels, um, and he did a really good Q&A with Thomas Drance uh, uh, last week as well, and I ended up writing very similar synopsis of the Canucks that, you know, they, they traded a first-round pick last summer for JT Miller, who's having an unbelievable year in Vancouver. They signed, you know, Tyler Myers to a big contract. So there's an example of a team that did a lot of their work in the summer, I think, and now have gelled and they're playing great. And I don't, I mean, you could disagree with me, but do you think he needs to go out and, and, and make a major, major trade? Maybe a depth move, but do you see a need for the Canucks to add a major piece? No. In fact, they, you know, they were a team that looked for a while before Christmas that they were they didn't weren't quite ready, right? That they were, you know, they'd fallen out of the playoff bubble and such as it was in the in the Pacific, but uh, of late, and you know, part of the reason that the Canucks are, as we speak today, sitting in first place in the Pacific. Hey, Jacob Markstrom has been a revelation, and I'm not. I'm going to ask you this later in the and podcast. Demko's been really good. I mean, they've had a yeah. great one-two oh, punch yeah, there. You were right, Demko as well, but you know, guys like. You know, Louis Erickson, whose, you know, his contract has made him, um, you know, it's made life difficult for him in Vancouver, right? It's been tough. He hasn't produced. But he has shown moments where he has made contributions. Um, they are getting good depth scoring. And when you think of, you know, you think of St. Louis and, uh, you know, Vancouver has, frankly, you know, they have more game breakers. I mean, with uh, Elias Pettersson, I mean, he's he is different than than anybody in the St. Louis lineup, especially with Tarasenko out. But yeah, to me, you're right. I think that that's a team, maybe you don't want to mess with that, especially right. if it's a team that has had so little playoff success. You don't want to be messing around with that. And, and Jim Benning is very, I mean, that is something he's very aware of and conscious of is, is the chemistry that team has right now. Right. Um, now, injuries always, there's still so many games before the deadline. Injuries have a way, we see this every year, of forcing a team into action, right? So that's the thing you always got to keep an eye on. But you mentioned Louis Erickson. For all the predictions I get wrong, and I get so many wrong, I'd like to once in a while pat myself on the back. I, I was on TSN Radio in Vancouver with Matt Sakaris, your old pal, and Blake Price uh, just before the season or first week of the season. And they asked me for like an oddball, off-the-wall prediction about the Canucks. And I said, I bet you Louis Erickson actually works his way back into good graces and becomes a player for them again. And they literally yeah. laughed at me. <laughs> And I and I don't know why I thought that, and maybe it's just you know I, I've always liked Louis Erickson, and it, it's just I mean his signing has been such a disaster there. 
but he has, as you know, as we tape this, he's been a player of late for them. And, yep. uh, and I, I can't, I bet you no one would have predicted that in Vancouver because of course there's the story of, you know, him saying things about Travis Green back home in Sweden over the summer and in the media there and all that stuff. But he, uh, he's in there now. No, and it's a great story. It's a great story. He's, you know, again, he's he's a, a gentleman, and he's one of those players. And we, there are lots of examples of it. You know, I think of David Backus, who late recently waived by the Bruins. I mean, you become the burden of your contract. And I know fans are like, well, you know, boo-hoo, right? I went out and talked to Carl Alsner, who's in Laval, right, to, you know, making a lot of money not playing in the NHL. But remember when Roberto Luongo was like, geez, I, I lament my own contract. And, I, like, I completely get that. I mean, people probably wouldn't have been so hard on Louis Erickson if he was making a million and a half. But he, he wasn't, right? Well, I mean, well isn't, isn't Ilya Kovalchuk the great example of what you make is how you get judged? Yeah. I mean, now it that he's making... becomes part of your personality. Yeah. Right? Now he's it's... making 700 grand. Yep. And people actually, love him. Not really, because he signed it on January 2nd. So he's making 350 grand for the rest of the year in Montreal, and perhaps we'll see where else. And everything is gravy. Every single time he has a good shift in Montreal, he's already paid for his contract, right? Whereas, I mean, for him to justify what the Kings paid him, he needed to be a 30-goal scorer. And it's just all, I mean, the cap, it completely defines you in, in this system for sure. And yeah, you feel for a guy like Carl Alsner, but you know, the game shifted on him and, and it's been a struggle and yeah, you wonder if he takes less to go elsewhere in a better spot. I always, you know, I always talk about that with agents, not always about, you know, the top dollar and a lot of the smart agents are on that. You know, they, they look for fit over coin often. Um, you know, Andrew Ladd's in the minors right now. It's, it's you know, some of these contracts get old in a hurry. Uh, all right. Before we end this uh, free part of two-man advantage, I just want to circle back <clears throat> to your your notion of this, uh, you know, get, not, not keeping up with the Joneses necessarily, but maybe getting ahead of them. And I think Calgary and Edmonton are, are fascinating because, as you point out, you know, they're probably, you know, they, they're, they're so top-heavy. I know Sean Monahan and Johnny Gaudreau have really started to go in Calgary, but man, they need somebody to play on the right side with them. They need other parts of that lineup to help them out. Uh, obviously, Edmonton's uh, top heaviness is well documented, but it makes me think, though. I go back to when Jim Rutherford was in Carolina and leading up to the 06 trade deadline, and and I know that. <clears throat> Hey, there's a benefit to getting players early, but to your point, if you want to get a player that you know other play, other teams are interested in, you might as well get them early. I mean, Taylor Hall going to Arizona is a great example, but you remember when Carolina got first Doug Waite, and then, if I'm not mistaken, my memory serves me, I think Doug Waite got injured, and to hedge against that, Jim Rutherford also went out and got Mark Recchi. Yep. And, and, and certainly with Doug Waite, who was about to be a UFA, um, there were so many teams that were looking at, at, at him as a possibility because of his experience and his skill set. Mm-hmm. Uh, I wonder, like, we're getting, I mean, we're still three and a half weeks out, but if if you're Kenny Holland in Edmonton and you're Brad for living in Calgary, I, I, I think there has to be an element of looking at the 
wires or whatever every day going, geez, am I, am I getting beat to a Tyler Toffoli or a Chris Kreider or a yeah. Pajot's next but, but the problem for those teams is that if they're trading for a rental, they can't go too quick because they don't know if they're making the playoffs. So that's the weird thing about it all. Like when I sat down with Ken Holland for that Q&A a couple of weeks ago, he said the standings will dictate what I do, but they got to play games and get closer to the deadline to know they're in. Now, if you're making a hockey deal, and I don't know why I think this, I have this weird feeling that, that Calgary might do a hockey deal as opposed to a rental deal. But if they make a hockey deal, then it doesn't matter because you clearly you can live with what you've done as far as that player still being part of your team next year. But, you know, and maybe that's, you know, if you can pull that off, that's probably a safer route to go. Yeah. All right. So when we come back, I want to ask you about Ilya Kovalchuk. I want to ask you about teams that you know, are that have sunk below the line and might be more willing to do something dramatic roster-wise, like you were saying, a hockey, you know, trading some player with term as opposed to just uh, expiring assets. And uh, you know, I don't want, if you've got things you want to ask me, I'm, I'm happy to answer them. But uh, be- before we do that, uh, if you're listening to this, you, you should, we hope you would, uh, rate and subscribe to Two Man Advantage on Apple. And if you click on the show URL, which is theathletic.com slash twomanadvantage. You'll get 40% off your subscription. And if you want to hear the full version, which is, frankly, I've, I've, I've been saving up. I'm like a guy who's saving up for the playoffs, Pierre. And when we come back, I'm, I'm going to go into full podcast mode, just just so you know. So you might want to put your seatbelt on. Uh, if you <laughs> want to hear all of it, you should subscribe to The Athletic, because, well, you should anyway, so... That's it. That's my that's my suggestion to our listeners right now. And uh, I don't want you to go away because we'll be back with the. Uh, we should have a term for the this final segment, like the power hour. Do you ever watch that on uh, Much Music? The power hour. <laughs> You're not really dating ourselves. That's when people used to watch videos. <laughs> right on, right on, brother. All right, man.